0: This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.
1: I'm Johnny Hart, and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's join our guests for the day. It's Craig Earlham, Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, and Trader Nick in the United States. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Hey, Johnny. Plenty to talk about today. Let's start with this side of the Atlantic, Craig. And we saw some very interesting retail sales figures earlier on today for the United Kingdom, which have fallen by 3.2% in December. Now, that is the sharpest drop since the UK was in COVID lockdown. So uh, quite a big number, that 3.2% and could see the uk going into a technical recession if those numbers are correct craig this is going to be a bit of a headache for the uk government if that is the case but how does this necessarily impact on interest rates to come we've already had over the last couple of days people saying the rate cuts are going to be delayed here in the uk possibly even in the united states how important were these figures today
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one, right? Because on the one hand, what do investors want? And what do markets want? Well, what markets want is to see some weakness in the economy, some softness in demand, and some further suggestions and indications that we are going to see inflation return to target, because the most beneficial thing for the economy is that interest rates start falling. And then you look at the political standpoint, what does Rishi Sunak want to see? Well, in a weird way, he also wants to see interest rates falling before the next election because he wants to see people feeling like they're slightly better off. He wants to see that they're kind of the worst of this period is behind us, that we're heading in a more positive direction. And he wants to see all the efforts made to try and rein in inflation are bearing fruit. And the best way to see that is for interest rates to start falling. But he also doesn't want to see the economy in recession. So it's kind of a rock and a hard place. I think what the Goldilocks scenario for Rishi Sunak is to see much weaker demand now, see rate cuts from March, April, May time, and then see the economy starting to recover by the summer autumn time with the economy on the mend and people feeling better off. That's the Goldilocks scenario. Is that what we're going to see? That's really hard to tell at this point in time, I think. We are probably looking at Q2 at the earliest for the first interest rate cuts. So it's very fine margins. And the worst thing you want to see now is a recession that kind of carries on into the summer because then people feel worse off and it's a difficult situation. Ultimately, though, I think in the broader scale, if you look beyond the politics, today's data is not entirely surprising. So despite the narrative that you see in the headlines and despite the fact that it did massively miss expectations, we've just been through a two-year cost-of-living crisis, a two-year period in which wages have been massively outstripped by inflation at times, really considerably so. And just because we've had a month or two where aggregate wages are higher than inflation, it doesn't mean that people are suddenly feeling better off. I know on an aggregate level, wages are now rising faster, but that doesn't mean that everyone's feeling it. And I also know that now mortgage rates are starting to come down but it doesn't mean people aren't paying a lot more than they used to and, and at the same time we are in a situation uh, whereby the kind of worst is behind us and that saving buffers are higher uh, than they have been uh, on an aggregate level uh, over the past 10 years or so but that doesn't mean that a lot of people haven't burned through their savings and that a lot of people haven't borrowed money over the course of the last two years And then that's even before you get to the psychological element of all of this. People have just been through two years where their money doesn't stretch as far. It's going to impact behavior and it's going to impact spending patterns. And sometimes the psychology of that can take a little bit of time to get over. It may take three to six months. It may take 12 months. It's hard to say. I always find it hard to imagine that everyone was going to go out and spend this Christmas as if the last two years hadn't happened. And November kind of gave us the impression that that could happen, but in reality, what November was was people front-loading their Christmas spending on Black Friday in order to try and make Christmas a, a little bit cheaper. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what we get from the data, from the rest of the data, because this is obviously retail specific. But it was widespread. It was everything from kind of food sales through to through to uh, kind of retail uh, through to uh, Uh, shops uh, and other things so it's going to be interesting to see how people spend their money throughout the rest of the economy but this first sign is is pretty weak and I think I'm I'm sure there's a lot of retailers out there right now who were hoping for a really booming Christmas and reality uh, are facing the prospect of looking into 2024 just hoping that this turns around at some point because this is such an important time of year for them.
2: And to follow up with that, Craig, too, in our last podcast, we talked about how the pound was like the only one on that day that the uh, that was actually outperforming the dollar. There's been some continued dollar strength uh, in recent days. And actually, out of our side uh, of the Atlantic, we did get some data. We got the, um, the uh, U of M uh, Consumer Sentiment Survey. And what we saw there was some of the most optimistic outlook from consumers since uh, mid uh, 2021. So we saw a little bit of another surprise here. And and I say that as uh, the key word there is another surprise because we've had a lot of surprisingly strong economic data out of the U.S. Um, it's almost become a theme here. Much of 2023, we kept saying that over and over the U.S. Ec- economy, out, you know, outdoing estimates over and over. So today, again, we got a, a reading of 78.8 compared to the forecast of 69.8. Uh, point being, again, this is another checking the box of stronger than expected uh, numbers out of the US. And, and comparing that with you know, some cooler, uh, well, definitely weaker retail sales numbers than what were expected out of the UK, it paints an interesting picture overall uh, for you know our listeners who are on the currency trading side of things. Um, you know there's this this I think rising case in my opinion for the dollar. You have suddenly um, a U.S. dollar which has has kind of broken out. If you take a look at the daily chart, I've got it pulled up here. I know you guys who are listening can't see that, but um, you can see the U.S. dollar has been in this this downtrend ever since. You know the Fed pivot kind of became commonplace knowledge. The dollar went on uh, you know a several month uh, drop there. But it's broken out recently, and you know you have this story developing where you're seeing, you know, again weaker economic numbers here today from the UK. Meanwhile, the U.S. numbers continue to be um, strong, and I think it really paints an interesting picture going into next week. We do have core PCE numbers, which is, of course, the Fed's preferred measurement of inflation. But for the currency traders who are listening, I think there's an interesting story developer. Now you're starting to see a bull case that hasn't been there in a little bit for the US dollar. And it throws a wrench into some of these moves that we've been seeing in the currency market. Again, cooling economic data out of the UK, um, you know, could be a really interesting thing to watch if you're somebody who's watching the pound USD, which has been, you know, pretty choppy here in the recent times that we've seen um, some dollar strength creep back. Creep back into uh, the picture, and I think you know you have uh, you have some data next week. You have uh, you know some some data to look back here in the U.S. again to to contrast retail sales in the U.S. Obviously, we had stronger than expected retail sales out of the U.S. And also, I wanted to ask in reference to all of this conversation, the oil market is kind of an interesting story. We're coming in, Craig, to this area or this this timeline where there's debate as to whether or not the markets uh, are going to see a rate cut by the Fed in, uh, in March. And the reason I point that out is because it's actually, if you look at the Fed Watch tool, I think last time I checked recently, it was about 60 40, 60 in favor that they think they're going to cut rates. Now, of course, you mentioned holiday spending. I think that that's interesting because we did get a hotter than expected CPI print here at the U.S. Could that have been some holiday spending habits that um, may not be there in January's number, which of course we'll get here in a few weeks? Really, really curious to see how that plays out. But part of me wonders if perhaps there's not a rate cut coming and that there is an argument to say, well, there's been a lot of economic data that's strong in the U.S., Meanwhile, markets are still very optimistic and thinking that there could be cuts as soon as March. And I wonder what you think about that contrast, what you're really looking forward to in the coming weeks, not just necessarily the coming days. Um, how do we prep for that that March meeting? And, and kind of what are you seeing on the currency side is what I'm saying kind of resonating in terms of like the pound, the, you know, the euro, the dollar. What do you think?
0: I think there's two things. One, which we touched on quite a lot, which is Going into the end of 2023, start of 2024, people are incredibly optimistic, right, about what we could see with interest rate cuts. We've been given some hope and some data that that gave the impression that we could. Uh, be heading in a really positive direction. We'd had inflation beats and quite significant ones. We'd seen signs that the labor market was softening. We'd seen signs that activity was cooling. Uh, uh, so we were given this impression at one or two more months of this, and we could really be on a massively positive path. And the, the central banks will have no choice but to start cutting rates really quickly uh, uh, and, and almost aggressively as well. So that's where this optimism built up at the end of the year. The January data so far just hasn't delivered that. It's delivered data that's fine. Now, fine kind of still suits the narrative in that we could still get what markets were positioned for, but fine isn't good enough when we've had exceptional. Uh, And this is the problem where the markets find themselves now. I still think there's two months in which the data could deliver perfectly well enough for the Fed to cut in March, the ECB to cut in March, and the Bank of England to probably cut in May. But Traders are now starting to doubt themselves because the data has just been fine. Two more months of fine data probably pushes everything back by three months. So it's that uncertainty that's been caused by this data, along with the really high expectations at the end of December, which has left us in this really uncertain position that we find ourselves now. And unfortunately... What that means is we're playing the waiting game, uh, and it may not be as simple as what I've just said, March, March, and May. It could be uh, it could be worse than that. It could be slightly better than that. It could be worse for the ECB and better for the Fed. It could be worse for the Fed and better for the ECB. I'm, I've not even touched on the Bank of Canada yet, the RBA. Of course, we had some labour market figures this week which suggest the labour market was weakening. And that's arguably the most interesting thing about this year because what's more interesting for currency markets than divergence? Divergence between central banks, divergence for interest rates, divergence for economies. That's what creates the volatility and the movements in financial markets. And that's why I think 2024 could be a really interesting year.
2: Yeah, that's a great point too, and and just to tack on to that, we talked about this in the last podcast, but we saw some of that divergence in you know the east and the west. We saw China um, continue to be slow, continue to to have a, a, a rough start here to the year, and I wonder where that fits into the topic about oil because you know we've discussed oil, um, and I, I think really truly as we look at twenty twenty four, oil is going to tell a big story. Um, One sort of side piece that is relevant to markets, it's kind of the Easter egg of the year, is that it's an election year. And while the start of the year will remain likely a little bit, um, you know, not so in focus about elections, it will creep into the news everywhere, into the conversations at the dinner table. I mean, it will become a really relevant thing. And if you're the president of the United States, uh, regardless of political viewpoints, you want to have another term. And in order to have another term, you need people to not be hurting at the gas pumps. You need people to be able to go out and spend their money. You need a strong economy um, in order to to decorate people's 401ks before they go to the voting polls i mean there's a really really um, worthwhile thing to mention you so you have um you know this oil market, and you know I wonder this is a little bit of just a fun experiment it's it 's friday we 're thinking about this. If there are people who are not the biggest fans of the United States, perhaps areas in the Middle East, that may want to disrupt an election year. Is it possible that that uh, could be just as much in focus for the president as it is for you know, perhaps uh, opponents of the U.S. who may want to interrupt that situation. I, I think it's an interesting standpoint because I'm looking at oil. It's ranging. It's been ranging for some time. It's at a low point and it's at a nice level where you know indices can rally. Um, you know, the dollar can meaningfully continue lower. But if something changes and oil moves higher, suddenly it's like the it's the whole game changer for this year. So I'm really curious, Craig. What do you think? I mean, what's the biggest thing to think about for people who are watching currencies indices whatever this year in the oil market what would you pay most attention to
0: a nice easy question thanks nick um the one that people are a lot paying a lot of attention to now is what's happening in the middle east and that's understandable that's where the upside risk lies but i think the fact that we're not seeing a lot of upside movement suggests that people still think that is quite contained. uh we are seeing brief spikes for example as we talked about last week when uh with the uh, us and uk uh, attack uh we that we saw a bit of a spike higher, but it just didn't last very long because the uh, the i think the idea was that it's it could be uh, an escalation but it's probably not going to be a dramatic one. So that's obviously one thing in the near term that people are paying a lot of attention to. But I'm almost thinking beyond that. I think for me, when we're talking about a kind of 12-month look ahead, what's going to have the biggest impact on the price of oil, it's going to be the economy. It's going to be demand. It's going to be China. Uh, And China has had a soft end to the year. We saw it from the data earlier on this week, but it can turn things around. We saw some fiscal stimulus late in the year. We talked about the fact that we, and that's going to take time to filter through, we talked about the fact that we saw some monetary stimulus last year, but it was like pushing on a piece of string. Uh, But the combined efforts with the fiscal side could potentially lift the economy uh, as we go on through the year. And that's going to have a big effect. World's largest importer after all. And then interest rates is going to have an effect on demand as well, because naturally, when interest rates are lower, there is higher demand in terms of just throughout the economy. Uh, So I think that's going to have a big impact. So I think that's the primary one. But the other thing as well, looking on the supply side, I guess there's two factors. One is OPEC+, Plus. how unified are they? Are we going to see them? Commit to these cuts in a way that actually delivers? Are we going to see anyone follow Angola out of OPEC, uh, the alliance? And then the other one, the wild card to an extent, is the US shale. And um, we've already seen. Output return to record levels are we going to see that continue? Are we going to see that surpass those levels, or are shale producers going to be deterred by the fact that WTI is trading at seventy to seventy five dollars a barrel and think that it's not necessarily quite as worthwhile as when everyone thought it was going to be above, above hundred dollars a barrel? So I think that's the wild card is the u s output because that 's the thing that's really going to make life impossible for OPEC plus is if they're cutting and all the while us shale is continuing to increase uh, uh by uh, another hundred thousand barrels a, a day and then after a few months by say half a million barrels a day going into the end of the year is this going to make opec plus's life of causing impossible because it seems that the the limits of what they can agree to in terms of course not the limits of what they can do but the limits of what they will agree to as an alliance um so yeah that uh, that's my long-winded answer So my answer to what's going to impact oil, I think I'm going to go for everything. Uh, But uh, I think in the short term, the focus is going to be the Middle East. But longer term, I really am thinking more about the economy, the alliance of OPEC Plus and the US.
2: Yeah, thanks for that, Craig. And I just want to reiterate what you said and what I think was really powerful there is, you know, there's a lot of question marks on the the supply side, right? What's OPEC's politics going to look like? What's going to happen in the Middle East? What's going to happen in Taiwan, China? You could play all of those what-if games all day long, but I like that you led your answer with, I'm going to be looking at the data, because that's really the only thing that we can kind of tangibly uh, have, have deadlines to know answers on. We don't know what's going to happen day to day in the Middle East. That's a That's a constant geopolitic. You always have geopolitics on the horizon. You never know exactly when things are going to happen. But to your point, watching the economies of the world that are big demanders of oil and whether that wavers or strengthens—really, really well put. So, thanks for answering that.
1: And what you said, Nick, about it being U.S. election year and how important it will be for the incumbent President Biden to be able to tell a better story about the economy as we approach November, and this conversation we've just had about oil, the supply coming from America, keeping prices down, the geopolitical aspects and whether or not that will affect the markets. This is going to be vital because over here in the UK, the opposition to the government is way ahead. It does look like we're going to have a new government at some point this year. But where you are in the United States, it looks to be a very close call between what we think is going to be a trump biden election so if you think about what happened to trump in 2020 where covid did for him really without covid he probably would have beaten biden well the same thing could happen but in a slightly different way to biden on this occasion if he doesn't get a good economy running by then but thank you very much guys very interesting conversation and we'll speak to you again next week
0: thanks a lot thanks johnny Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.